Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. To me, don't chase titles, chase great head coaches, chase guys that are hungry, that have been successful, that are going to continue to be successful, learn how they do things. This episode of Accelerate Everything is with Coach Rick Jones, who is now the special assistant to the head coach at Missouri. When I first met him, I want to say Dub recommended a lot of guys to me. That was one of the names that came up through him and some other people, and was able to get Coach Jones on the podcast, and really it was one of my favorite podcasts that I've done here. So I appreciate you bringing them back here, Dub. Tell us more about what we're going to hear in this interview. You're just going to get years of just wisdom from, from a guy who's been multiple Hall of Fames. He's won over 10 state championships in his career and just has an unbelievable ability to, to consume knowledge and, and relate. And his my best quote that, he's ever, that I've ever heard him say was, I may be old, but I'm not old-fashioned. And he's constantly trying to learn new cutting-edge ways and, and, and ways to evolve. And there's just so much wisdom you can take away. And I'm, I'm excited to share some of these things with you on this pod. What you see on tape is a direct reflection of what you teach and how you teach. Video is important, but if you don't teach well, you're not going to like what you see on your video. First Down Playbook has been helping coaches teach better for 13 years. It allows you to present installs, playbooks, and practice cards in half the time with NFL quality. Coaching tools like video pairing, a player app, practice schedules, and wristband sheets have made First Down Playbook a program management system with everything in one place. If you're in a position of leadership with your football program, receive a free one-week look at First Down Playbook. Call them at 512-814-6158 or visit them on their website or social media. Mention Coach and Coordinator Podcast or use the coupon code COACH24 to receive a $100 discount off the normal $700 First Down Playbook team membership price. Links and the phone number are in the show notes. Our guest today is Rick Jones. Coach Jones is currently the special assistant to head coach at the University of Missouri since 2020. He has coached at the collegiate level and high school levels for 40-plus years, winning nine state championships in two different states. As a high school head coach, Coach Jones has a record of 317 to 74. He's been Coach of the Year honoree 18 times. In 2012, he was the NFHS National Football Coach of the Year, along with being awarded the AFCA Power of Influence Coach of the Year in 2018. 
Coach, welcome to the show. Thanks, Thanks Dub. I appreciate it. Good to be here. You hired me fresh out of college in 2000, and I was green as grass. First, I want to revisit some of the things that you taught me that were different than any other place I've been. One of those things that made you different was teaching coaches how to coach. I think this is something a lot of head coaches miss out on. One specific was how to set up and run an effective indie drill. I remember you specifically walking around each position group during practice with a small notepad. You would watch intently and write down notes. After practice, you would call each coach in your office and go over the indie period and teach us the how and why behind coaching drills. Tell us why you implemented this into your head coach philosophy and what benefits did you notice throughout the years? I just think it's important that we're as efficient as possible on the practice field. I think that time wasted is, is time that you never can get back. And I just thought it was very, very important that we set up drills in the most efficient way possible so that we could get the most reps possible in a set amount of time. And also, are you practicing how you play? Because so many times you get a good drill, but it has no carryover effect or very little carryover effect. And if we have a two-hour practice, we're going to make use of every single second that we're on the practice field. We want to make sure that the drills are set up, that we're running the drills at the right pace, that we're doing the drill correctly, and that it has carryover effect on the on the field itself. Because we're just not going to do drills to do drills. It's important to be efficient because the weather is usually not great. In the time that you spend on the field doing your work, you want to be able to do that in the highest quality possible. And I just always was looking for ways that we could tweak, that we could adjust, that we could change a little bit and make things a whole lot better. I, I would go around with that notepad and I wanted to give constant feedback. When I was an assistant coach, I always wanted the head coach to tell me what he thought I needed to do better. There's been a couple times where I would go in for a evaluation or something like that and be disappointed because now you're doing a good job, sign the box, let's go. I said, no, tell me what I need to do. Tell me what I need to do better. Tell me how I can improve. What can I do as a coach to get better? And I remember several times over over the years where a, a coach would say, hey, you're doing well at this, but have you thought about doing something a little bit different and, and give me a suggestion? I love that. I, I love that. And for instance, you were a new guy coming out of college. You had an idea what you want to do. You're a hard worker. You're obviously a guy that was going to learn, but I wanted to have an opportunity to to make you a more efficient coach, to make you a better coach and give you ideas. And, and I I always put that priority higher than hurt your feelings because it isn't that I didn't care about your feelings, but I just, you got to be able, you got to be able to take constructive. I wouldn't call it even criticism. I've told people for years, if I were head coach, I'd still do a written evaluation at some point in time for every coach. And that's what I did right up till the last year I was the head coach, but I'm not going to wait and I did this. That's why I say this. I did this early on. I would just say, well, I'm not going to cover it now. I don't want to, I didn't like the confrontation or whatever. I'm just going to wait till the season's over. And then I'll, I'll hit him on the, you know, I'll hit him on the evaluation. And I had a guy when we were coaching years and years ago, he said, coach, why didn't you tell me, you know, I could have changed I, I didn't, we didn't have to go the whole, you know, the whole season or whatever. So it just taught me a valuable lesson. We're going to have evaluation every day. Every day is an evaluation. 
And if there's something that we can do better on an everyday basis, let's go do it. Let's not wait. There's no reason to wait around because the bottom line is coaches want to be good and coaches want to do things the right way. And if, if I hold that back and say, well, I'll get you at the uh, end of the year evaluation, it's too late. It's too late. Season's already over. That group of guys are already gone. And, you know, you're just left there to me looking silly. So we're still going to do an evaluation, but it's going to be more uh, of interaction as opposed to being a critique of your abilities because we're going to do that critique every single day. Let's talk about your evaluation and your end of the year exit meetings. I remember my first one with you and you had a list of areas that I missed the mark on. There's one thing that you said to me that day that is still seared into my brain. You said, if you want to be great in this profession, you must consistently seek out knowledge. It is the only way to maintain relevance and impact this game. Can you elaborate on the importance of this for coaches and how you actively modeled this throughout your career? I look back when I started coaching, like in 1979, if if that's the peak. Now, I thought it might have been the peak at the time I did, but if that was the peak of my knowledge, if that was the peak of my understanding, if that was the, the very peak of my brilliance as a so-called coach, we'd be in deep, deep trouble because it's just not the way it is. It, this This business is constantly evolving. It's constantly changing. I thought back how fun would have been to go back to 1986, the first year that we were head coach and, and run the spread. You know, that would have been some fun. We could, we could have scored 200 points a game, I think, but that's not the way it is. You just constantly evolve. I, I started out as an assistant coach, teaching guys how to double down, kick out, run, you know, run the blast. And if you got three yards, you were happy and go back, you know, go back to it. You know, the passing game was a mystery. It was a mystical thing. And and I remember thinking about how is it that these guys are just throwing the ball because I I just wasn't that familiar with it, either at the co- being a player in college or, or, you know, where we started our career. And so you just sort of learn and you progress. But not only do you change what you do, but you also change how you do things. And I think that kids have changed a ton. I refer to them, people that heard me speak before that sort of understand, I refer to them as customers. It's a mentality. You see these guys as customers and and they volunteer. They're they're all volunteers. Even the guys here at the University of Missouri, they're volunteers. When it gets, no one is making them do anything. We have incentives, obviously. There are a lot of incentives, but ultimately we're all coaching volunteers. And I think that you have to figure out how to make it, what I call it, saving Ryan style. You have to make it worthy. You have to make it worthy of the time, worthy of the effort, worthy of the money. Because it's a lot easier to lay in bed. It's a lot easier to play video games than it is to get up and do what your guys did this morning. Always be aware of is just the fact that these guys have chosen to be here and we should be happy. Uh, You know, at Greenwood, we got to the point where we high-five those guys when they come in for off-season workouts or come in for in-season workouts. They would walk right through the coach's office, and we were high-fiving because we're glad they're there because if they weren't there, we wouldn't have a job. Let's talk about coaching titles. My second year under you, I had my fast-track roadmap ready to roll, and my plan was to call the JV offense that season. That summer, we were timing 40s for summer pride, and I forgot my pen to record the times 
and you had the line next to me. So I asked to borrow yours and you kindly let me use it and said nothing. Well, later that day, I went into your office and asked to call the JV offense for the upcoming season and you ripped my butt. You said, you want to call my offense, but you can't remember to bring a pin to the field and run your drill. And it was the greatest coaching lesson I've ever learned. And to this day, you will not find me on the field without a whistle and a pin. Talk to us about coaches today and the need for a coaching title and how wanting to fast track to the top may actually cause them to miss the mark. Well, I apologize for being ugly towards you. (laughs) I deserved it. I remember uh, when we were at Edmond years, a long, long time ago, we're out at the practice field and it's probably late August, early September. It's about 105 degrees and no wind. And this kid comes out with a, with a briefcase and a coat and tie. And he comes up to me and he says, right in the middle of practice, he said, coach, I want to talk to you about a job. I need, I want a job. And I, I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. Just follow me around here when practice is over. I'll have a few minutes chat with you. And he was a college kid at, at Central Oklahoma, and, and he had decided that the key to uh, victory is to dress up in a coat and tie and come on a practice field in the middle of practice, unannounced, in about 105-degree weather. And just for meanness, I would run back and forth across the practice fields just to, just to watch him sweat. And I'll never forget as long as I live, and I know who the kid is because I know his dad. He's probably – been a coach now for 25 years, very successful. But (laughs) I remember when I finally had time to sit down and talk to him. And I said, I said, what, what, what are you looking for? I said, what do you want? And you know, what kind of job are you looking for? And he looked at me dead straight and he said, coach, I want to be your offensive coordinator. (laughs) And I started laughing. I said, do you know who our offensive coordinator is? And he said, no. I said, it's me. (laughs) it's me you want to take my job and and, uh, I got a laugh out of it I don't think he thought it was very funny it's interesting how we chase titles how we chase status and things like that and I think I defaulted to the best philosophy ever and that was when I started out coaching I didn't care where or what or who I was coaching I wanted to coach for the best head coach I possibly could and uh I interviewed down in Texas, and that's what I thought I was going to do because that's where, you know, King football, Texas high school football and all that. And I interviewed with three great men, great, great coaches. But because of one of those guys knew Coach Manning at Dell City, Coach Manning was looking for a, a coach, and he gave him my name. And I went down to visit Coach Manning, and I just thought – this is a guy that I can learn a ton from. He's a Texas guy. He had coached at Amarillo and he had coached there in the Dallas area with Coach Peach. And I just thought it would be a perfect way to sort of learn the Texas system and still be in Oklahoma. You know, I was JV assistant coach. And I think probably because we were head coach for 31 years and I've never been a coordinator of anything that I sort of don't take seriously a lot of the title chasing and things like that. I know that sometimes you can get a bump in pay if you get a title change, and I get to all that. I'm good. If it makes the Board of Education happy, I'm happy. I like titles. I I had co-coordinators many times, in, especially on the defensive side of the ball. I'd have a special teams coordinator. I'd have an off-season coordinator because it gave me an excuse to bump their pay. Right. To me, don't chase titles. Chase great head coaches. Chase guys that are hungry, 
that have been successful, that are going to continue to be successful, learn how they do things. Just watch. I'll never forget going in and visiting with Mike Little, one of the best coaches ever, best high school coaches ever, the second coach I worked for. And I said, what do I need to do to get better? And he said, he said, Rick, you're doing a good job, but you just need to make sure you look at the big picture. He said, I want you to be the best O-line, D-line coach in America, but always have an eye out for the big picture. And I just took that to mean that be the best O-line, D-line coach you can be. And if you do that, things will take care of themselves. And then while you're in that process, just watch him. Watch how he organizes practice. Watch how he handles kids. Watch how he handles coaches and learn from him. You know, you hear it all the time. You better be good at what you're doing. Be as versatile as possible in terms of what you can teach and also what you can coach on the field. I think if anything, a young guy should not focus on one side of the ball. I did that, and I think it made me a worse head coach. I think they're truly great head coaches or guys that coach all three phases. I feel comfortable coaching too. I never spent a whole lot of time on the defensive side. I mean, overall, I've coached everything but secondary, but I, I think that for a young guy especially, don't don't get trapped. You know, Belichick is famous for taking offensive guys and putting them on defense and defensive guys putting them on offense because they have a unique perspective. I was a defensive player for most of my life, and I immediately went to the offensive line, which I didn't want to do, which the head coach didn't give me a choice. So I learned the offensive side and pretty much stuck with that. We're going to take a quick time out of this episode to make sure that we share some great resources that Coach Dub Maddox has put together. I know my bookshelf is just full of your books. I've always followed all the things that you do, and you do a tremendous job of just putting together detailed resources that can help coaches accelerate everything within what they do. So tell us a little bit about some of the things you've put together. Yeah, R4 Keith is an operating system that accelerates coach and player decision-making under pressure. So we've built frameworks that other experts in other domains have used and put them in a football process that allows you and your staff to get on the same page and accelerate your ability to learn how to watch film, learn how to game plan faster, learn how to play call faster. And with the common language and the non-negotiables that we identify, it really unifies everyone on your staff and your team to see the game through the same lens. And that's really the hardest thing that we have to do as coaches and coordinators is to unite everybody to see that game through that expert lens. R4 is your answer. You can check it out at r4footballsystem.com. As coaches, we know that some of the biggest hurdles to our team's success can come from off the field. Your team needs support to tackle the endless list of expenses, uniforms, training equipment, travel, and more. But raising that money can feel like a full-time job. Thankfully, there's Vertical Raise. Vertical Raise is the premier online fundraising platform using innovative technology to create the easiest and most efficient system available. Raise more money in less time with a local fundraising coach who works with your team every step of the way to customize the ideal fundraiser. With options for online donations, digital discount cards, premium product sales, and even spirit shops, Vertical Raise has top-of-the-line solutions for every fundraising style. To find out more, visit verticalraise.com and we'll get you connected with an exclusive offer on your first fundraiser. Let's talk hiring coaches. You have conducted hundreds, if not thousands of interviews over your career. You have to quickly ask the right questions to self-discover if the coach possesses the traits to execute in a high-level program. 
How has your interview process evolved over the years? And how do you know if you have a guy that has the it factor to be a great coach? Uh, I, I think it's really, really hard. I, I've hired a bunch of guys that did have it, though. I mean, I've had, you know, it's it. I, I talked to our GAs, QCs, and analysts here a year ago about how to get that job. And I, I talked about some things, and they looked at me like I just landed from Pluto or something. But here, here's a few things. One is I'm evaluating you from the second you walk in the door. I'm going to look at your posture. I don't want to hire a slow walker. I, those guys drive me crazy. There are great coaches that walk slow. I get it. But for the most part, I want a guy that has a purpose, has a sense of direction, and knows where he's going. And toward the end, I would make an excuse for the prospect and myself to just walk walk around a little bit. I just want to see how he moved. I want to see if he was a fast walker or a slow walker. And there are plenty of great coaches that are slow walkers. That shouldn't disqualify anybody. The other thing's posture. You know, when they sit down, are they sitting up straight or they slump down? And that is a big thing to me. Body language just says so much. Is this a person, and I try to project this guy and his personality, is this the kind of guy that can get into a meeting room with a bunch of high school kids and, and get their attention? Is he that kind of guy? Is he going to be able to make an impression on them just by the way he conducts himself, by his preparation? Is he going to be that kind of guy? I'm going to say, what's the last book you read? And if he says, coach, I'm really not much of a reader, eh, I'm not sure I'm going to be interested in him. The other thing is, is that if he's a single guy, and I walk out to his car, and I usually like to do that. I sort of like to get a feel for him. I walk out to the car. If he has golf clubs in the back seat, I'm okay with it. But if he's a married guy with kids, he's got golf clubs, no, that ain't going to work. I just know it's not going to work. I just know how we are, and I just know that a guy that wants to play golf and raise kids and coach football is just not going to make it. That's one thing. One of the things that I like to ask is, do you consider yourself a lucky person? I love that question. Do you consider yourself a lucky person? Because you can tell a lot about a person's makeup by the answer that they give you. If they say, no, I'm not lucky. I worked hard for every single thing I've gotten. Uh, I deserve every good break that I've you know, had and everything like that. Or if a guy looks up and says, oh, coach, I'm the luckiest man in the world. Uh, I get to coach football. I get to go there every day and coach football and coach a bunch of kids and, and design offenses or defenses and practice and hang around a bunch of great coaches. If they have that kind of mentality and it's sort of that appreciation for what we get to do, but I, I love to ask. And, and I want to be honest, I don't want to hire dumb guys. Dumb guys will ultimately get you in trouble no matter. And I mean, dumb, not dumb football wise. I'm just saying guys that just, you know, they just mess up continuously and I found that dumb guys don't usually work out very well with us. I just know the way it is. And, and I, I have a low tolerance for lack of common sense and lack of common decency. So that, that's part of it, too. And if a guy's bright, you know, if he's a bright guy, he can coach anything. You know, if he has personality, I'm trying to I'm trying to find that personality. The other thing and the last thing that I'll mention is that when they walk in and sit down from the get-go, I'm trying to decide, is this guy, which box am I going to put this guy in? Is it the positive or the negative? Is he an optimist or is he a pessimist? 
because I frankly have such a bad attitude myself. I can't be around a bunch of pessimists. I just can't. And I don't like using the C-A-N apostrophe T word either. That's another story. But I don't want to be around negative people. I don't want to be around pessimistic people. It, it's easy to be cynical. It's easy to be that, that way. And, and so when a guy sits down and we start talking, I'm trying to figure out immediately which box I'm going to put him in. And I, I've, I've been wrong many times. I've hired great coaches and I've hired coaches that weren't so great. And at the high school level, you even have more restrictions because you've got to hire the best math teacher that can coach secondary possible. And it's not that you hire the best guy. You hire the best available guy. But I, I want a guy that I, that has an optimistic bias. And I, I think we all have that. If I really dug deep into my own personality, I might be that guy. And I've taught myself over the years that, you know, little things that we did, Doug, you remember – if we were going to have a critical statement, you have to start it with a positive. You know, you can say, well, you know, you're talking about Johnny. Well, Johnny has a really good stance. <laughs> and you sort of go from there. But it's just a matter of training your brain over and over and over to sort of think a certain way. And I've spoken to coaches, and I'm going to speak here a little later this week about the words. I, I'm convinced that the words we use affect our brain. I am convinced. Uh, you know that we outlawed the H word. We don't say the word that starts with H, ends with T, and has O in the middle. We're not going to use that. That's that's a negative word. And the reason for that is, is I had a I had a teammate in college that every time the weather was above 85 degrees, it was like, oh, there, there it's going to be awful today. It's going to be horrible today. And you know, you go to lunch and you see me. You said, boy, practice is going to be a kill. You know. And you're like, oh, my goodness, I just can't take that. I, I need a guy, you know, and so we sort of adopt the mentality. Hey, it's a beautiful day in the Como now. It's it's a beautiful day. Columbia, Missouri is a beautiful place. Even when it's 95 degrees and not much breeze and high humidity, it's, it's a beautiful day in the Como or it's a beautiful day in the wood. Coach, most head coaches lean to one side of the ball. You were heavily involved in the offensive side over your career. How did you build the bridge with the defensive players to make up for the lack of attention time that you may lose when focusing on the offense? I didn't do a very good job of it. Um, I think that you have to be intentional about it. You have to make time. It was a lot easier when I turned things over, you know, the actual play calling to guys. And, and you, you were with us during that time when we did that for the first time. And we did it there at Greenwood for the last three or four years. And it really helps you. But when you're – play caller you are you're thinking about making first downs it is a big time job and it's a hard job to do but I think you have to be intentional I, I think you have to make sure that you develop those relationships especially when you're at big programs like you are where the offense is over here and the defense is over there and if you don't bridge the gap it's not going to be bridged and I think it, it works for the staff as well I remember Josh Hopple coming in to recruit one of our quarterbacks there at Greenwood. <laughs> and it, it makes me laugh when I think of it. I said, Josh, how's it going, man? Because I'd watched him, you know, as a player at OU and all that stuff. And he's a wonderful person. Tennessee's awful, but he's a wonderful person. But he just, he said, oh, coach, you know how it is. I said, I was like, come on, how's it going? How's it going? He said, I live in a defense world. You know, he's there with the Stoops brothers. <laughs> it made me laugh because I thought to myself, I got a good feeling for 
our defensive coaches and how they feel like they they probably are living in an offensive world. So I think you need to be aware of that. I, I think you really do. And you have to be intentional about bridging the gap for the players. Otherwise, it's us against them. We did a little thing. And, I mean, it's just silly. But it, it took 10 seconds of our time. When we go inside drill or when we go skelly or when we go good versus good in any any practice phase, many times we would just blow the whistle three times. And we'd have 10 seconds. I'd yell 10 seconds. They'd have 10 seconds, go high five. The offense guy had to go find defensive guys and high five them or fist bump them or whatever. I just thought it was important because sometimes it's contentious and you have a shoving, a push, and stuff like that. And I just think it's important that you finish the drill. It just took 10 seconds. We'd say 10 seconds and they'd high five and they'd laugh. They thought it was hilarious. And uh, I don't know that it made a difference, but I know it made a difference in my in my brain. Coach, you're in the SEC at Missouri right now. You're in the middle of summer camps and seeing a lot of high school kids come through your school. What are some things that you notice about current high school athletes that attend your camps? Particularly, what could we do as coaches better to prepare them for the next level? That's a great question. I wrote a Tiger note about that. Uh, they, they need to be in shape because we're going to take about a two and a half, three hour practice. And we're going to spend about half that time on testing. And we're going to spend about half that time coaching. And there's going to be some type of competition at the end of the day, you know, whether it's one-on-one or skelly or whatever, and we're going to watch guys compete. But I think the the important thing, you need to be ready. You need to come ready to work. You need to come ready to show what you can do, have a great attitude. Are you the kind of guy that's sort of the Pied Piper guy? Are you at the front of the lines? Uh, when we were at Greenwood, I'd, <laughs> I, would tell, I would tell the guys, I said, listen now, don't come back and say you didn't get your reps because you go to the front of the line every time. It's You wear that blue helmet. That means you got to pass to the front of the line. And and I would have coaches come back and from colleges and tell me, every time I look up, there's a Greenwood guy going. And that's the way I want it to be. I'm going to tell you, go to the front of the line. And if a guy has something to say about it, if they get on you twice, then, then go where you're supposed to be. But I think one thing is, is that I, I want to see guys at – the front of the lines. I want to see guys that they're the first one. When we rotate a drill, I want to see the guys who's first. Does he have an attitude? Does he have an attitude of gratitude? Is he glad to be there? Does he look, you know, does he look like he's visiting the dentist between sessions? And I just think that it's important that they have that kind of attitude. Now, if they have the measurables, that's that's the biggest thing. You know, you have the measurables, okay, but there's a ton of guys that have measurables. Coach, you've had numerous quarterbacks in your high school programs earn Power 5 scholarships throughout the years. You're now in the SEC and get to witness some of the best defenses in college football. Seeing both sides now, what are some things that quarterbacks coming out of high school need to be able to do to perform well in the SEC? Oh, oh man, that's a hard question. There's there's a ton of things. When you look, I remember <laughs> – I remember – jobs, I say jobs, one of my things that I did, I wasn't really designated to it, but I just did it on my own, is I always watched opposing quarterbacks warm up. And I remember we were at Georgia two years ago, and they got five-star. They can't see me, but I'm raising my hand. You know, They got a five-star, six-four. They got a four-star, about six-three. They got a five-star that's about six-two-and-a-half. And then they got a guy over there at the very end is five-eleven walk on and I remember going up to the quarterback coach he knows who he is <laughs> and I said 
what's up with that? <laughs> and I was pointing to the guys, and he looked at me, and he was not in a good mood. He said, I'll tell you what, that guy gives his best chance to win. That's why he's playing. And I said, whoa, whoa, whoa I got you. And uh, it's, it's that guy that can make plays. It's that guy that can think fast, anticipate, because as you progress in, in the football world, the, those lanes for open receivers is not very big, and they don't stay open very long. You have to have anticipation. There's a lot of things. I think fast thinkers, competitive guys, you know, every year you'll watch a quarterback on third and one scramble and then hook slide a yard short of first down and things like that. It's just that awareness. It's an understanding of the game because we're assuming that the guy has the tools. You know, you're assuming the guy has the tools. You look at in our quarterback room right now, and we've got, you know, 6'2", 220, 4'6", we got 6'4", 225, 4'5", 5'5". We got, you know, and there, there's four guys that, even though their bodies are different, there are four guys that you could envision being SEC quarterbacks, starting quarterbacks for, you know, for a lot of teams. But I think the thing that's going to separate them is the guy that can go in and make plays when it's on the line. You know, guys that are fast thinkers, that are confident, that have the ability to anticipate when this is going to be open, when that's going to be open, who can take And, and I'll tell you something else the amount of brutality that our quarterbacks take is unreal. And that goes all the way from Stetson Bennett to, to our guy or your guy at OU or OSU or whatever. It is brutal what they say about these guys on Twitter and what they say about them on these commentary shows and things like that. You better, you better be darn tough. You better be able to take the heat and not cower down. And I think that's one of the things that's probably overlooked is you, are you mentally strong enough to do the job? Are you mentally strong enough to take the slings and arrows that come with it? Are you mentally strong enough to throw that pick horrible pick in front of 90,000 people, go to the sideline and go right back out there and know that you're going to get it done. And and that's probably the difference in the sec guys and, and and the Division One guys and, and the guys that eventually work to the NFL. But when you look, I mean, when you really look at the NFL, there's only, what, 15 <laughs> that you would say are, are good or great. You know, it's a hard job. It's a really hard job. And I think the biggest thing is just having the guts and the determination, if you have the measurables. And there's some guys that don't have the measurables, but they have that intangible. But I don't think there's any great ones that don't have the intangible, you know. And, and the thing that's scary about us as coaches is that when you really analyze the situation, did Tom Brady's coaches at Michigan knew what they had? Because they brought in a guy to beat him out. I mean, they and asked myself that, how could that happen? And I think the way it happens is that we look at guys and we have a picture in our mind of what a guy looks like, what a Division One guy looks like what an NFL quarterback looks like and when everybody thinks back to that combine picture Tom Brady he didn't look like that and so I think the thing that it has taught me is that we have to look deeper and especially at the quarterback position we have to look deeper we don't need to just 
necessarily focus on the measurables. We got to look. We got to look at what's inside. Coach, you send out a weekly Tigers note, and there's a lot of coaches on that list, and you're always, you know, pouring out knowledge and information and sharing any good ideas you come across. Can you give us an email again if we have coaches on this show that are listening that want to be a part of that? You bet. Rick.Jones at Missouri.edu. Rick.Jones at Missouri.edu. And uh, feel free to reach out to me. My cell is 479-650-9950-479-650-9950. My heart and spirit and thoughts are with coaches. I get great joy out of having the sense that I have been able to help a coach uh, navigate this tough trip. And feel free to reach out anyway. Call me or send me an email. Either way, I'm good. Coaches, you need to take Coach Jones up on this. He's the biggest reason of why anything good in my career has happened is is directly tied to him. And you got to take take advantage of, of the wisdom and knowledge that he has. Coach, appreciate you coming on the show. We'll talk to you soon. But uh, take care. I've always been interested in the use of technology to make our jobs more effective. So I'm excited to continue sharing modern football technology with you here on the podcast. This innovative system leverages tendencies to improve self-scouting, game planning, and in-game decision-making at the speed of the game. Modern football stands out because it's a battle-tested platform used by teams at all levels, like four-time national champion Bishop Gorman, the five-time California state champion Folsom Bulldogs, six-time Texas state champion Lake Travis, Cal football, and the CFL's Grey Cup champions, the Montreal Alouettes. So book a demo today to see why these teams trust modern football technology. Visit www.teammofo.com demo and mention Coaching Coordinator Podcast or use the coupon code CC10 to receive 10% off your first year. Here are winning edge takeaways from this interview with Coach Rick Jones. Dub, what do you have for us? Yeah, my first one, he gave one of the best pieces of advice to any young coach out there that's starting out in the game. And it's don't chase coaching titles, chase great head coaches that have been successful and learn how they do things and keep the big picture in mind and watch how great head coaches handle things. And Keith, this is something that I learned from him as a young coach. And it's really a big reason why I've had a lot of success over my career. The second thing is one of the uh, favorite parts of this episode is learning some of the questions and tactics coach Jones uses to profile potential coaching hires and interviews and I think there's really a lot of gold in there and he listed a ton but at the end of the day he's trying to see what box does this guy fit in is he a pessimist or is he an optimist and coach Jones is a big believer in the words that you use can affect your brain and he wants men on his staff looking through a positive lens and the last thing is that head coaches that call plays or are more involved in one side of the ball must be aware of how it affects the mindset and relationships of coaches and players on the other side of the ball Great head coaches are intentional and seek out ways to bridge that gap. And I think that's really overlooked in today's game, and it's something that can cause a lot of problems culturally on your team if it goes unaddressed. Coach Jones is always a treasure to have on this podcast, a guy with a growth mindset, a lifelong learner, and I appreciate that. He's always willing to pass that along. So thank you again for bringing him on and for all the work you've done here on the podcast. No problem, Keith. Enjoy it. Be sure to go to coachingcoordinator.com for additional resources, blogs, and sign up for our weekly newsletter, which gives the best tips from the previous week. Follow us on Twitter at Coach K Grabowski.